This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Everybody, this is Bob Murphy. It's a beautiful day for big. My Bob Murphy imitation sucks. I apologize. I thought it was a lot better when I was 15 or 16 years old and I was battling puberty. But now as a 40-plus-year-old man, my Bob Murphy imitation sucks. Anyhow, welcome to Rico Bronia. Hopefully everybody has had a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful holiday, and Santa gave you exactly what you wanted. A while back, we received an email at therecob at gmail.com, and we get a lot of these of ideas, like ideas of, hey, I got an idea for Rico Bronia. Hey, I have an idea for Rico Bronia, because usually, I'd say 80% of the time, we're talking about the team. We're talking about, in this case, the offseason. During the season, we're talking about games and series and what happens. But during the offseason, at times, we have some fun. We go through memory lane. We go through Met history and have nice little chats about the history of this franchise. So we always get recommendations. You should do a Rico Bronia about this. You should do a Rico Bronia about that. And a while back, we received an email with a suggestion. And it was an interesting suggestion. It was, hey, you should go back in the history of the New York Mets and talk about one-hit wonders. In fact, the person who emailed me was a guy by the name of Patrick Stern. And so I wrote him back and said, I think that's such a great idea that when we do this podcast, we'll call it Rico Bronia, Patrick Stern presents Mets one-hit wonders. So Patrick, if you're out there, And boy, wouldn't it suck if you suggested such a creative idea and then you didn't actually listen to the podcast happening. Uh, But he is. I'm sure he is. Or maybe I screwed up his name. It's possible after all these months, it's not actually Patrick Stern. But Patrick Stern presents Mets One Hit Wonders. Couple of rules before we go through the history of these kinds of guys. When we say one-hit wonder, we don't mean a guy that had one really good year for the New York Mets and then faded away. We've had a lot of those guys. It's literally guys who played for one year or shorter on the New York Mets. They were here for an instant, and then they were gone. And that's the qualification because 
there are two guys that jumped out at me as guys that technically were not one-hit wonders. They were here for more than one year, but it was brief enough where we only remember the one year that they had here. May I give you an example of that? So clearly this doesn't count because the guy was here for multiple years, but you'll see by the example, he almost counted. Uh, Number one is Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson in 1999 is the year we remember, and he had a great year in 1999. He played 121 games that season. He hit 315. Ricky Henderson hit 315. And if I'm not mistaken, if you look through Ricky Henderson's major league career, that was one of the highest batting average seasons he had ever had in his Hall of Fame career. Think about that. In fact, if you look it up, he only had two other seasons in which he hit higher than 315. And that was back in 1981 as a 22-year-old when he hit 319. And back in 1990 when he won the MVP and he hit 325. So Ricky Henderson hit 315 for the New York Mets. He also stole 37 bases, hit 12 home runs, and had an 889 OPS. He also contributed big time in that 1999 playing game in Cincinnati against the Reds, setting the tone for that game and performing in the postseason. The problem was, in the postseason, we more remember him for playing cards with Bobby Bonilla during game six of the NLCS. Now, you may say, well, why doesn't he count? He actually came back the following year in 2000 and played for the Mets. The problem was 2000 was a disaster, and he ended up getting DFA'd about a month and a half into the season. So A, he wasn't performing. He was only hitting 219 and had no pop whatsoever. I think he only had three extra base hits in the time he was here. But I'll never forget it. There was a game in which he had a ball off the top of the fence in left field, and Ricky did his Ricky trot. And so he ended up sticking at first base. He never ended up getting the double that he needed, and Shea Stadium obviously erupted in booze. And within a few days of that, the Mets made the decision to move on from Ricky Henderson, and they DFA'd him. And it really turned out to be the right choice because he bounced around the league with Seattle, San Diego, Boston, and finally finishing in L.A., And he never came close to what he did in 1999. 1999, at age 41 years old, was really the last hurrah of Ricky Henderson. But if the Mets had moved on from Ricky, instead of those 30 games in 2000, he would qualify in this one-hit wonder. And the only reason I mention him is because it's not like he spent five more years with the Mets. He didn't even finish the next season. In fact, most Mets fans, when you think back, to the 2000 Mets, a team that went to the World Series, which is very special in all our hearts. Do you even remember that Ricky Henderson was on the team? I don't think anybody does because he was gone by the middle of May. So Ricky Henderson qualifies as a really, really close, but no cigar, one hit wonder. And I'll give you one other example that fits the Ricky Henderson quotation of so close, but so far away. And it's actually really, really similar. Jose Valentin. Remember Jose Valentin? He was a big part of that 2006 Met team. He had a really productive year that year in 2006. He had 271, which, yes, was the highest batting average of his entire major league career. He had 18 home runs. He drove in 62 runs, and he had an 820 OPS. Jose Valentin had a career season at age 36 as the predominant second baseman for the 2006 Mets. Unfortunately, I remember him mostly for the Andy Chavez game. 
because after Andy Chavez made that great leaping catch, and yes, that's a rewatch game. So if you haven't watched it yet, you'll see what I'm about to say, because this is one of my vivid memories from that game. After Andy made the great play on Roland, robbing of him the home run of the sixth inning, the Mets actually were given a gift by Scott Rowland the following inning. He committed a bad error, and the Mets had a runner on third and less than two outs. And the two hitters coming up were Jose Valentin and Andy Chavez. And Andy popped up in the infield. This is by memory because I have not rewatched this game yet. And Jose Valentin, I think, struck out on a pitch that was bounced. And both guys had a chance to drive the run. And I think in Valentin's case, it was with one out. So unfortunately, despite having a really good season in 2006, I kind of forget it. I think more about that moment in Game 7 against St. Louis. Much like Ricky Henderson, Jose Valentin comes back in 2007. His batting average dips. His pop dips. He really looked like a completely lost baseball player. And then finally, in the middle of June of that season, the New York Mets say, I think it's time to go. And they release him. Or did he finish the season and get hurt? I don't even remember. Bottom line is he barely played and he was done. And that was it. And that was Jose Valentin's time with the New York Mets. So much like Ricky Henderson, he had the one really big year, comes back for a second year and doesn't even get through the season and turns out to be a disaster. So those are the two kind of honorable mentions, close but no cigar examples of one hit wonders but i have compiled a list a very very big list of one hit wonders you ready to go through it pete you're very you're, you're very excited right now I, I i'm waiting now i i have one name that sticks out right off the bat and i'm here to see if he makes a list because he was with the team for one year but not the full year but would that count oh yes because and you'll see it based on this there's a lot of guys that fit that there's a lot of guys that came here and for whatever reason, some of it's trade, some of it's injuries, some of it's just various things faded away and actually never even completed a season. Uh, what we'll do is I'll go through all these names and then at the end of it, we'll decide on the greatest one hit wonder in the history of the New York Mets. And quite frankly, I don't think it's going to be close after you hear all the names. I think there's one clear winner. But let's start off with a guy who in 2013, as the Mets were struggling, trying to find their way came out of absolute nowhere and had a tremendous season for the New York Mets. And it's funny, uh, Pete, he fits what you were just describing. This guy I'm about to mention didn't even finish the season with the New York Mets that season. He signed with the Mets at age 35 years old after bouncing around the league and also being suspended for steroids. And that guy is Marlon Byrd. Marlon Byrd had his best season as a New York Met in 2013, he played 117 games before being traded. He hit 285. He hit 21 home runs. He drove in 71 runs. He had an 848 OPS. And the debate at the time, because the Mets stunk in 2013, I like to say between 2009 and 2014, we had a period of five years where it was basically the same crap every single year. Now, sometimes we would get off to good starts, then fall apart. Sometimes we would just be done by the middle of June. But every single season sort of kind of runs together in my memory as just shitty seasons. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it comes down to. I wonder if I was a kid in 2009 to 2013, if I would remember it more uniquely than I do. But the bottom line is the Mets ended up finishing 74 and 88 that season. And Marlon Byrd was one of their best players. 
Uh, this happened to be one of those crappy seasons where the Mets were never really in it. They were basically under 500 the entire season. So there was no kind of move. There was no tease. There was no, hey, we're pretty good. I think it was pretty obvious most of the season that this was just a team going nowhere. They were 10 and 15 in April. They were 12 and 15 in May. So you do the math. They were out of it. And so I remember we all viewed Marlon Bird as a guy who at 34 years old is having this great season, but what are we doing? Like, are we going to keep him? And it was actually a debate amongst Met fans. Maybe we should keep Marlon Bird. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we found something with him. And it was a friend of mine who used to text me all the time after Marlon Bird would get big hits and say, do you feel dirty? And I'd say, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he's a cheat. And I said, well, but you think he's cheating again? You think he did steroids, got caught, and now is doing it again? By the way, spoiler alert, we would later find out that he was. He ended up getting busted for steroids a second time. But that always bothered me. I was arguing with him back then, saying, he's not cheating. There's no way. you, Boy, how, how out of it was I? But the one thing I was steadfast on was, we're not good. He's 34. We have to trade him. Like, there's no way we could just ride it out with Marlon Bird. There's no way. And the Mets ultimately made the decision to part ways with Marlon Bird. They actually traded him to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, before the trade deadline, where he went to Pittsburgh and continued to play well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That was it, though, by the way. After his time in Pittsburgh and then his subsequent steroid suspension, he would bounce around the league and never perform the same way. I remember what we got from Marlon Bird. We traded him to Pittsburgh for two players, Dilson Herrera and Vic Black. Vic Black was a relief pitcher, couldn't throw strikes. Dilson Herrera, we would talk ourselves into being the future second baseman of the New York Mets. He was the guy for multiple years. There are certain prospects that will always live in our mind as we thought he was going to be great. We thought he was going to be good. We thought we would look back at the Marlon Bird trade and say that was a good one. Eventually, the Mets would trade Dilson Herrera a few years later before the trade deadline for Jay Bruce. So the Dilson Herrera career never went anywhere. But Marlon Bird was here for 117 games, Pete. And can't complain. He was a damn good Met, and then they were able to cash out and try to trade prospects for him. Yeah, I remember him just being somebody that, like, the power he brought with him was was exciting. I feel like he had some really clutch hits, some big home runs, and I do remember the fact that he's like, oh, we want to keep this guy forever, but the reality is that was never going to happen. But yeah, I do. Marlon Bird definitely in a rough stretch with someone who stuck out in a positive for change. I, I certainly hope that in 2024, we aren't talking about the guys we recently bought having really good years that we're then going to turn around and trade. Actually, we had a guy like that this past season in 2023, and that was Tommy Pham. I mean, think about that. Tommy Pham, in a lot of ways, is similar to Marlon Bird as a one-hit wonder in that 
you sign Tommy Pham, you sign Marlon Bird, you don't have huge expectations. And both guys, more so Bird. Bird obviously had a better season if you're comparing it to Pham's 23. But Tommy Pham ended up having a really good season for the Mets to the point where when they fell out of it, they obviously traded him. Now, the jury's out on what that trade's going to look like in terms of if the young pitcher they got back turns into anything. But I think if we do this updated Rico Bronio one-hit wonder in 10 years, Tommy Pham may be mentioned. But I think it's so recent we kind of throw him away. But it is sort of similar. Sign a guy, get a lot of production, your season goes nowhere, you trade them away. That is one-hit wonder number one. Here's another guy, and this is recent as well. Though Marlon Bird, 2013, I guess, isn't that recent. It's a decade ago. But that's that's my age, I guess, telling me. But 2021 is recent, right? That's only a few years ago. Aaron Loop put together one of the great <laughs> reliever seasons you will ever see from a New York Met. Let's not forget what Aaron Loop did in 2021. And I think it's even more impressive when you pull up Aaron Loop's page on Baseball Reference and you see everything he's done at the major league level since 2012. And he's had some productive seasons, no question. But he's a career 3.43 ERA kind of guy. And when the Mets let him go after one year to Anaheim, he had a 3.8 ERA and then a 6.1 ERA. The ERA that Aaron Loop had for the Mets in 2021. So this is his career Mets ERA. Granted, it's only 56 innings because he was a loogie, as you call it. A guy coming in to just get a lefty out. Aaron Loop had a 0.95 ERA. So depending on innings qualifications, Aaron Loop has one of the lowest ERAs in the history of the New York Mets. He put together an incredible season in 2021. Uh, Unfortunately, the team is remembered as collapsing. The team is remembered as falling apart. We spent most of the season in first place. This was the real first year of Steve Cohen, if you think about it. And the Mets led that mediocre National League East for most of the season before completely crumbling. Jacob deGrom gets hurt. They make the trade for Javier Baez. The team falls apart. Aaron Loop was one of the constants, and he was a likable Met, too. He was drinking his Bush beer after games, and he got righties out as well. You know, you think of him as just a guy to come in and get left-handers out. And while he did a lot of that, when he was asked to cross over and get right-handers out, he did a really good job against them, too. Aaron Loop was a damn good Met, but when he was a free agent after his one year here, we all agreed, like to bring him back, but there's no way he's ever going to do this again. And as we've seen from his time in Anaheim, there was no way he was ever going to do it again. So one good year for Aaron Loop, can't argue with it, 0.95 ERA. It can't get much better than that. Oh, now, I remember the Bush beer, but there was a, a moment, and I'm, I'm drawn a blank on who, I think it was his reliever buddy that came in for like a even shorter spur, like came up for like a month or two, and they were just killing it. And Loop was the Bush, and I think someone else was like Miller. Do do who was the other pitcher that was with him? Because I, I remember a press conference of them side by side with the two different beers. Do you recall? I don't remember now. No, I, I have to look that up. I'm looking it up. I'll find it out. It's all over it. I I tell you, if we're picking the best of the one-hit wonders and we're doing this by stats, it's going to be very tough to argue Aaron Loop. It's tough to – I know it's bullpen arms, ERAs are misleading. I get all that, but 0.95 ERA is not bad. Let's go back a little bit further. 
Let's go back all the way to 1995. 1995 was a surprisingly good year for the Mets because, remember, they were coming off of the strike of 1994. And before that, 1993, where they lost 103 games, 1995 was the year that began late because of the work stoppage. And the Mets ended up finishing the season very strong and finishing in second place. The Mets had a guy on that 1995 team, very similar to Marlon Byrd, in that he didn't even finish the season with the New York Mets. Because even though it was a good season moving in the right direction, the Mets were not in a pennant race in 1995. So if you're getting a really productive year out of somebody, you may as well trade them at the trade deadline. But because of the work stoppage, because of the strike, because of the lockout, this guy signed in April because that was the offseason. That was the MLB free agent frenzy. We sort of had that a couple of years ago after the lockout. But this one was even more extreme because I think that the injunction that brought baseball back and eliminated the replacement players, I think it was like March 31st or April 1st. And then they had the run to spring training, the run to start the season. So all these free agent signings were occurring in April. And this guy, Brett Butler, signed on April 11th. By the middle of August, he was actually traded back to the Los Angeles Dodgers, the team he left. Brett Butler had a damn good year in 1995. He was 38 years old, so he was well at the end of his major league career. But in the 90 games he played for the Mets, he hit 311. 311. He also went out and stole 21 bases. And he played, I guess, a halfway decent center field. My memory tells me he played a halfway decent center field. Though it's funny, I remember, I think it was... I'm trying to think if it was before he came to the Mets or after he came to the Mets, but he was facing the Mets and Todd Hundley hit a ball to center field. That was a home run. And Brett Butler made one of the great catches you'll ever see. He climbed the fence, kind of hung on to the wall and took a home run back against Todd Hundley. And because he played for the Dodgers before he came to the Mets and after he came to the Mets, I couldn't tell you what year it was. My gut kind of tells me it was after that it probably happened during that 1996 season, but I I very much could be wrong about that. But Brett Butler was a Dodger, and he was a good Dodger. He was known for his bunting. He was known for his speed. And for the Mets, in 90 games, he went out at 311 and got on base 38% of the time, and then they traded him in August back to the Dodgers for two guys that I don't know who they are, Scott Hunter and Dwight Mattis. So that trade did not work out. They didn't trade him back to the Dodgers and get like a young prospect named Raul Mondesi or anything like that. Though I think Mondesi won the rookie of the year that year. Okay, Todd Hollinsworth or whoever other prospect they had that would have panned out more than Scott Hunter and Dwight Mattis. But good year? I mean, can't argue with 311, 773 OPS. So Marlon Bird, Brett Butler, they have it in common. Old outfielders come to the Mets in crappy seasons, have good years, and they get traded away at the trade deadline. I I do remember Brett Butler, but again, he was a flash to the pan for me. It wasn't very, wasn't, didn't feel very significant at least. By the way, found the guy. Who was the guy? And I was right. It was a Miller, Miller light. Do you, I don't know if you can see this picture. I cannot see the picture. I apologize. Pete is trying to show me a picture through his phone. I can't see. Anthony Banda. Anthony who? Banda. Anthony Banda. 
Oh my god. I know. Another one one day wonder. <laughs> that, that's it. That's another Rico. Guys who spent less than ten days on the New York Mets. We examine. <laughs> Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.